turn to Romans 15 and um, leave your Bible open there. We'll be looking at several other scriptures this morning as well. I'm so glad you're here today because we're starting a, a brand new series we're just calling Hope. And as you heard, you can listen along. All the worship songs we'll be singing on Sunday morning are on our, home, are on our website. Uh, you can find just by following the link as the announcement just said. How's your hope today? How's your, how's your, how are you doing with your hope? How, 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 is, your, is your hope level up? How is it? Is it, is it strong? Is it weak? Is it overwhelmed? Is it, um, we're just going to talk about the next few weeks, and we're going to work on hope. We're going to work on what our hope is, where it comes from, what it is in God. Uh, we live in um, increasingly discouraging times, an increasingly discouraging uh, culture and environment. And so this series is really going to strike in, right in the middle of that, I think, in a very timely way to, to encourage you, to strengthen you, and to talk to you about your source of hope. Romans 15, 13 says, May the God of hope, that's a, that's a phrase you might want to circle. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in Him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. This passage starts with the God of hope, and it ends with the promise of hope. So this morning, as we start this series off, I just want to talk to you for a few minutes about the promise of hope. The promise of hope, the guarantee, the, the, the spoken promise by God over our life for hope. Now, hope is difficult to find. This is one of those subjects that Everybody, you talk about, and everybody knows the word, but if you were to ask everybody in the room, what does hope mean? You'd like to get a wide variety of definitions. What, what, is, what is hope? Sometimes it's easier to understand what something is by understanding what it's not, or understanding how life looks without it. It's kind of like, you know, we're entering sinus season, right? Anybody? We're, we're entering sinus season and so it's almost like you don't ever think about what your nose does till it's stopped up, yeah? And then you go, man, who shut the air off? You feel like, I, I didn't know I moved to the moon. There's no oxygen. And so then you're breathing through your mouth. And so it's there. It does its job. It's doing what it's supposed to do. But until it's gone or it can't function, you don't really realize how important it is. And, and I think that's the way we're going to try to define hope this morning is what does it look like when it's not there? So life without hope looks like this. It's the belief that nothing will do any good and the future's only filled with pain and trouble. It's the terrible feeling that there's no relief in sight from within or from without. Hopelessness is pure discouragement. It tells us that if, if expectations fail, then quitting's the only option I've got. You know, if this doesn't work, this last thing I'm going to try, this last thing I'm going to do, this one more day, if I have one more day that turns out like this, I can't, I can't, I'm done. I'm going to quit. Ephesians 2.12 says, Remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise without hope, watch this, and without God in the world. What is hopelessness like? It's like there's no God. 
That's what hopelessness feels like. I don't know what it'll feel like when all believers are removed from the world, but it's going to have to feel like hopelessness for everybody left behind. Where there's no presence of God, where there's no awareness of God, where there's no reality of God, hopelessness feels like there is no God. There's no good in the world. There's no one watching over us. There's no help. There's no strength. There's no relief. There's a lot of hopelessness that fills our land today. I don't know if you're aware of this or not, but more people in America today die from suicide than homicide. Let me say that another way. More people in America kill themselves than are killed by other people. So oftentimes we talk about how violent our land is. We talk about crime and violence and murder and all this. And yes, that's terrible and it's a problem. What we don't talk about though is, is, is the bigger problem. That people become so hopeless and so defeated and so crushed that the only way they know out in our country is to just kill themselves. They're not waiting around for somebody else to do it. Remember, where there's no sense of God being present, hopelessness reigns. And our culture continues to move swiftly toward an environment where, there is, where people think there is no God, where they say there is no God, where they try to take God out of everything that he can be taken out of. And, that, and the result, the net effect of that, is an increasingly hopeless culture. Psalm 142 records one of David's prayers in which he screams out to God about the hopelessness he feels. He describes himself in a place where no one cares and his spirit is growing faint. In Psalm 142, he says, bring my soul out of this prison. Your prison ever been, your soul ever been in prison? You ever had that feeling like to the deepest part of you, I'm stuck and there's nothing I can do about it. This, this issue won't move. Nothing's going to change. That's what hopelessness feels like, like wasting away in an inescapable prison, being a prisoner of hopelessness. I just, uh, uh, being transparent with you, there are those days that I've wondered, uh, our family battles numerous challenges. And I've wondered some days, will those challenges ever change? Will our life ever get more simple? Will our life ever get easier? Will, will victory ever come? Will, they, will we ever have a breakthrough? Will, will these things ever be conquered? Our family carries heavy victories, and so it's encouraging to me to read somebody as gigantic in the faith as King David who says, my soul's in prison. <laughs> then I go, I know how you feel. I understand that feeling. Bring my soul out of this prison. Maybe you've had those feelings before at some point in your life. I think they're becoming more common. I remember when I was uh, a little boy, maybe it was just the age, the time of history I grew up in. I loved Superman. Any, anybody? You remember he was a Superman. He was the, like the first, like the original, like the one, the man. I loved Superman. I wanted to be Superman. So, because, you know, we didn't have no costumes. You didn't go to the store and buy no costume when I was a kid. You'd make your own costumes. You didn't have no costume. You didn't know about that. You'd have tinfoil and sticks and duct tape and change that was stuck between the couch cushion. Whatever you could find, that's what a costume was. And so I got a towel, uh, a long towel. I couldn't even find a red one. I don't even remember what color it was. Probably chartreuse or turquoise or Something crazy like that. It's an old one, of course. My mom wouldn't let me play with the two good ones we had. So, you know, old towel. And so it had a little flap on one side, a little fray coming out one side, you know. And I found an old rusty um, safety pin. 
And I'd put that thing around my neck and snap that thing, and it was on. I was Superman. I'd fly, shh, you know, you never could sort of reconcile that your legs were still like a Flintstone car. They were still under you. But your arms, you were flying up here. From the waist up, I'm good. I'm flying. I mean, it's on. Fly around the house, zoom around, look up in the sky. It's a bird. It's a plane. No, what is it? It's Superman. And every episode was always the same. I don't know if you remember this. Lois Lane would rush off to pursue some story for the Daily Planet newspaper. And, of course, the bad guys would capture her. But that was never a problem because we all knew Superman was coming. We just didn't know how he was going to get in the room. Superman was always watching, and Lois Lane never seemed too nervous because she could depend on Superman. He would burst through the brick wall. The dust flies, and there he stands. And, and, and then, then what would happen? Then the bad guys would start shooting at him. Remember this? They'd start shooting, but the bullets, and he would smile, and one would be in his teeth. You'd go, yeah. You know, I had my little towel on. I was like, yeah. Throw stuff at myself. Mm, killing it. Superman. And then Lois Lane would say, oh, Superman, you saved me again. And he'd have this, you know, almost goofy little grin, and he would reply, that's my job, isn't it, Miss Lane? And I never understood how he could disguise himself with them black horn-rimmed glasses. I mean, really, nobody can tell this is the same guy? What is it? Really? I mean, I know we don't need eye scan or fingerprint. You just got to be an average joke. You say, that's the same guy. I don't know how that ever... Anyway. Wouldn't it be great if there was somebody like Superman who was watching over us? You got a flat tire, no problem. He's going to launch up in his blue and red pajamas, and he's going to land right there, hold the car up while you change the tire. Maybe he'll do both. I don't know. Wouldn't it be great if he could even help us with bigger things? Wouldn't it be incredible if Superman could help us with a terminal disease? He could just fly into the future and get the cure and fly back and, you know, bring the cure to us. He'll fly, he'll fly around. Your parents going through divorce, no problem. Superman's going to fix it. You saddle with a, a habit or addiction, no problem. The man of steel can break through and help you. But the truth is, and we all know it, Superman's not real and he's not coming. Look up in the sky. It's a bird. It's a plane. No, it's not. It's a dark cloud. <laughs> he's not coming. Superman's not real, but our troubles are real. The challenges we face are real. The hardship we endure is real. The frustration we feel is real. And we're not just talking about flat tires or bad days. You, 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 you have people, a 38-year-old mother of two with no husband or father for her children, a kid who lives in a neighborhood where, where it, drugs are so accessible it seems impossible for him to find any other life. There's a, there's a man trying to pay his mortgage who's lost his job and has no opportunity in sight and time's running out. Somebody has a chronic illness and there doesn't seem to be anything that the medical community, community can do about it. A marriage stuck in an endless cycle of abuse and unfaithfulness. A man trapped in a world of sin and addiction without hope and without God in the world. When life caves in on us and overwhelms us, it starts to feel like you have no hope. But there is hope, and if I didn't believe it, I wouldn't be sharing this message this morning. So let me just give you quickly, if you have something to write with, I'm just going to give you one thought about hope today, about the the promise of hope, and then we're going to talk about How do we get that hope in our life? Here it is. God promises hope because, I read it at the very beginning in Romans 15, He is 
the God of hope. He promises hope because it's who he is. He's the God of hope. He's the source of hope. He's the wellspring of hope. It's in his character. It's in his nature. It's his posture. It's his outlook. It's his perspective. It's his attitude. He's the God of hope. Jeremiah 32 records an interesting story. Jerusalem was under siege. What that meant is a foreign nation had gathered around that town and surrounded it uh, with military force and would not move until the people inside starved to death or thirst to death or came out and surrendered or turned on each other and killed each other. They would stay outside. So two years had gone by, and Jerusalem had been under siege. And Jeremiah the prophet was inside trying to figure out how we're going to work this out. People were beginning to starve in the street. There was, they were running out of water. Disease and death were starting to take over. And you can't imagine how discouraging, how hopeless it must have felt to be confined a prisoner inside those walls of Jerusalem for those 24 months. But at this time, the prophet Jeremiah did something that's unthinkable. When all the citizens were discouraged and doom was imminent, Jeremiah took the last 17 shekels of money he had and he bought a piece of land. And he said, he was sending a message to those people, God gave us this land, and God is going to deliver us and keep this land. And he went, and can you imagine how foolish it would seem to go and buy land when the enemy is strangling you to death and choking the life out of you, and it seems imminent that they're going to break through the door and they're going to own the land? And Jeremiah went in an act of sheer prophetic hope and said, God promised And I'm going to act on the promise of God. He will keep his word. He is trustworthy. We are not abandoned and we are not without hope. Hope comes from the God of hope. He's the only one who keeps his promises. Man's promises never deliver. Maybe you've heard some of these. Listen to this quote. Nothing will ever separate us. I promise you we'll probably be married another ten years. Do you know who said that? Elizabeth Taylor, five days before her divorce. An NBC correspondent in January 1980 said, I'd like to declare that Ronald Reagan is politically dead. That worked out. Gone with the Wind is going to be the biggest flop in Hollywood history. This was predicted. Clark Gable said this. I'm, no, uh, Gary Cooper said, I'm just glad it'll be Clark Gable who's falling flat on his face and not Gary Cooper. Because he was cast for the role originally. President Rutherford B. Hayes in 1876 said, The telephone is an amazing invention, but no one will ever want to use it. Somebody help me today. No one will ever want to use it. Thomas Watson, the chairman of IBM in 1943 said, I think there's a world market for maybe five computers at the most. I restate my position. When I used to fly around with a towel on my back pretending to be Superman, I can remember one, um, one weekend, we had some cousins that came over about my age. And, you know, back then, the adults sat in one room and the kids sat in the other room. They didn't all this, all this running in and out and screaming. I didn't do none of that back then. No, you either outside. You're lucky if you got to stay inside. Most of the time, you're outside. you got to stay inside. You better be quiet. And so you know what quiet meant? Quiet meant don't get caught. 
So we drug a mattress off one of the beds in another room into the living room, which would have thoroughly encouraged my mom. And we done dismantled the bed, drug it in there, and throw the sheets everywhere. And we're in there, and we got up on top of, my parents have like an antique radio about this tall. We got up on top of it, and we put our, we take turns with the one towel we could use. We take turns putting the towel on being Superman. And we'd perch up on that radio, and we'd try to lunge out onto that mattress and fly. And it's the craziest thing you'll never, never believe. I, I would lunge out. And so what I thought is, if I can, if I can fly and turn the corner into the other room, I'd really be flying. I mean, that's like, that's like the Wright brothers. I've actually caught flight. And so I got up there, and, and I jumped, and because I could somehow spin, I wish I had video of it so I could see what it really looked like. Because I know what it looked like in my mind. It looked like in my mind I shot off of there, and then I changed directions, and then I turned and went into the hallway. Now, it probably really looked more like this. You know, and then that's what it looked like. But I convinced myself that I could fly. I could convince myself because I thought I was turning a corner. I have found the magic bullet to life. I have discovered flight, human flight, with no plane, with no rocket. And, and, and my enthusiasm and my optimism and my hope for flight, though, here was based on the wrong thing because gravity sunk in. Now, I want to share this with you this morning. You might want write, to write this thought down. Most of life's disappointments come because we put our hope in the wrong thing. And then when they let us down, there's nothing left but broken hope. All other sources of hope will eventually let you down and show themselves for what they really are. Hope isn't based on a feeling. It's not based on balancing the scale of fairness of the universe. I've endured enough hardship. Now I deserve a break. It's not based on that. It's not based on lucky numbers. It's not based on optimism. It's not based on cliches. It's not based on positive self-talk. It's not based on doing more bad, more good things than bad things. You're not going to pull out the card of, I've been a good person, therefore, I, I do, that's what I'm hoping in, is that my good works will outlast my bad works. There's only one source in the entire universe of unchanging hope, and it is the God of hope. If God is interested, and if God loves us, let, let's, let's talk about now how this is practically broken down. If God is interested in you and me and our situation and he's interested and he loves us, why doesn't he rescue us? Have you ever asked that question? God, where are you? Why don't you do something? Why don't you change this? Why don't you fix this? Why don't you interrupt this? Surely this isn't what you wanted. Why don't you do something? And it all depends on what we want to be rescued from. We don't have time this morning to fathom all the deep questions about suffering and evil in the world and why do good people suffer and sometimes bad people seem to just get away with stuff. We don't have time to do that whole thing. But suffice it to say this this morning, suffering is part of life and God doesn't rescue us from life. So in this world, let me say it another way how the scripture says it, you will have trouble. Instead, what he does rescue us from is meaninglessness. 
He rescues us from purposelessness. He rescues us from hopeless living. God is a God of miracles. He's a God of healing. He's a God of power. But he's also a God of hope. And hope is what you need to endure. Hope is what you need to persevere. Hope is what you need to overcome. Hope is what you need to live in victory. Hope may not change the circumstances, but it will change you. Let me say that again. Hope may not change the circumstances, but it will change you. And this morning in this room, it's time for some of you to dream again and to believe again and live again. Hope will release you to life. And it's time for that. So, how do we get hope? That's all cool. Do, do, do I put a towel on and jump off a radio? How do I get hope? I'm going to give you two ways. We get hope through the Bible. We're going to talk about this in October. The Bible is the revelation of God. Now that's, that's deep water. The Bible is the revelation of God. Which God? Well, the God. Who's the God? He's the God of hope. So the Bible is the revelation of hope. It's God's interruption to what we experience. It's God's emergency broadcast in a world broken and gone wrong. It's a clarion call of encouragement and hope. It's a revelation of God. It's the revelation of the God of hope. Romans 15, 4 and 5 says it this way. For everything that was written in the past was written to teach us. Okay, what are we going to learn? So that through the endurance, what does hope empower you to do? To endure. So that through the endurance taught in the scriptures and the encouragement they provide, we might have hope. The scripture gives us hope. The revelation of God gives us hope. The revelation of the God of hope gives us hope. So may the, may the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you the same attitude of mind toward each other that Christ Jesus had. Every time I read a story in the Bible about Paul in prison, a leper who was healed, a demoniac who was set free, I have hope. Every time I, I go through Scripture and I see God as provider, as healer, as my peace, as my deliverer, I have hope. I'm encouraged. There are beautiful poems in the world. There are powerful songs. There are inspiring movies that all move us emotionally. But in the end, they're like flowers that are wilt in the afternoon sun. They don't stand. They might inspire. They might move. But they don't stand. The revelation of God stands. The Bible stands. Bathe your mind in God's Word. Target a book of the Bible that addresses what you're going through. I remember a few years ago in the aftermath of Hurricane Katrina when, when we were shot. I, I remember the Lord specifically leading me to the book of Psalms. And I spent one year in my own devotional life just walking through, embracing, absorbing, being changed by the book of Psalms. So find that part of the Bible that, that, that addresses where you're at, where you live in, and soak in it. Read it. Meditate on it. Camp there. Move slow. Read the same. If it's a short book, read the same book every day for a month or two or three. It, you're not, look, this isn't a sprint. It's a journey. 
And if you're, if you're struggling with hopelessness, with discouragement, man, you don't need to be on read the Bible in a year plan. You need to be on set your roots down somewhere in Scripture that addresses your life and, and, and soak. Take that in. Let that hope replenish you and fill you. We get hope through the Word of God. We get hope through the revelation of God found in the Bible. It's a miracle. It's a miraculous book. God wrote it, 66 books through inspired authors over 1,600 years, and it, and it agrees with itself. It's a supernatural book, and it will give you hope. And sometimes it'll give you hope, like I said earlier, when I read King David said, set me free from this prison. I thought, my Lord, I felt that way. Sometimes it'll give you hope not because it'll, not because it'll always correct you or give you something to aspire to that you can't reach. Sometimes it'll get down to where you are and say, I get it. I get it. You're not the first one in the history of the world that's ever felt what you feel. People like David and Moses and Abraham, giants of the faith, and Paul the Apostle have felt what you feel. I get it. And you know what? In time, God raised all of them up, and they endured. That's the thing. How did they make it? They didn't make it because they were perfect, and they didn't make it because they were always positive, and they didn't make it because they had happy talk. They made it because they had something solid and concrete under their feet that wouldn't move when the earth shook. And it's called the God of hope. Are you here this morning? I just came to preach. Are you here? Here's, here's how else we get hope. None of these are going to shock you. But what's simple on the surface is deep at the bottom. We get hope through the Holy Spirit. Romans 15, 13, I want to read it in the New Living Translation. I pray that God, the source of hope, will fill you completely with joy and peace because you trust in Him. Then you will overflow with confident hope through the power of the Holy Spirit. Where does confident hope come from? The power of the Holy Spirit. Man, I think... Uh, to be Pentecostals, we, we ought to connect with that better than most. And, and, and too often, it's not the kind of conversation that I hear in the Pentecostal church at all. The power of the Holy Spirit is to give you hope. Doesn't it make sense that if the God of hope lives inside of us, then He can fill us with hope? He can, he can infect us with hope? And not just a teaspoonful, but overflow. Did you hear what that says? Overflow with confident hope. Man, I'm ready to not have enough hope. I'm ready to have too much. <laughs> How much you want? Let me give you the best definition of hope that I know. Presence of God. If hopelessness is whether it feels like there's no God... He doesn't care. He doesn't know. He's not aware of what I'm, what's in my life. He's not involved. He's not interested. He doesn't love me. He's just, then, then hope's got to be God is close, and he's here, and he loves me, and he feels everything that I feel, and he knows everything that I know, and I'm not the center of the world. He is, but he is close to me and loves me and constantly drawing me to himself and embracing me and changing me to become what he always dreamed I'd be. That's hope. Uh, the other stuff's details. You're the temple of the Holy Spirit. He lives in you. God's presence lives inside you. Never underestimate the promise of hope. 
1965, there was a, a little grandmother named Grandmother Gage who was uh, in the middle of a family reunion in Florida. And she woke her grandchildren up early one morning and she started handing out Coke bottles and corks and little slips of paper. And she said, I had a dream last night. God was telling me something that I thought we should do. So for hours, she wrote Bible verses on, on the little scraps of paper while her grandchildren would stuff them in bottles and put corks in them. Later, they deposited those 200 cork bottles with messages in them into the Atlantic Ocean near Cocoa Beach. For several years, she would occasionally get a thank you note in the mail from someone who had found one of the bottles. And this true story, Grandma, Grandma Gage died in 1974. About a month after her death, the last letter arrived. I want to read that letter to you. Dear Miss Gage, I'm writing this letter by candlelight. We no longer have electricity on the farm. My husband was killed two months ago with, with, with his tractor overturned. He left 11 young children and myself behind. The bank is foreclosing. There's one loaf of bread left. There's snow on the ground. And Christmas is two weeks away. I prayed for forgiveness before I went to drown myself in the river. The river's been frozen for over for, over for weeks. So I didn't think it would take long to die. When I broke the ice, a Coke bottle floated to the top. I opened it, and with tears and trembling hands, I read about hope. Would you like to know what verse was in that Coke bottle? Ecclesiastes 9.4 For him who is alive, there is hope, for a living dog is better than a dead lion. I came back home and I read my Bible that had been tucked away on the shelf, unused for a long time. I'm thanking God for the message he sent to me. We're going to make it now. I don't know how, but I know we will. God bless you. From a farm in Ohio. How did a Coke bottle float from Cocoa Beach, Florida, up the Atlantic coast, in the, in the river ways, deep into the heart, inland into America, and pop up through broken ice in a lake that a woman was about to throw herself in and die? I'll tell you how. There's a God who is the God of hope, who is present who knows where you are, he knows your name. The God of hope guided that Coke bottle to the right place, and that bottle contained the verses about hope. It didn't contain verses about miracles or power or even provision. That woman needed hope in that moment because those things are produced after we hope. Hopelessness paralyzes the soul. Hopeless hearts can't reach out in faith. Hope is fuel for faith. Look, without hope, faith is legalism. It just becomes reduced to doing this and doing that and saying this and saying that and claiming this and claiming that. Without hope, faith is legalism. But with hope, faith is alive. You, you ever wonder why Paul the Apostle said the three greatest things, right? These three are left. Everything's gone, but three things are left. What are they? Faith, hope, and love. The greatest is love. We talk a lot about faith and love, but what about hope? Hope is the life. Hope is the breath. Hope is the, is the reality. Hope is the expectation. Hope is the fuel. And hope's here today. I'm going to ask our worship team 
uh, to come now. Is there coming? I, I, I recently tripped over a blog of a pastor friend of mine who I knew in Florida years ago. In 2011, he was um, riding his bike and he was hit by a truck. And the truck did incredible damage to his body. Uh, two vertebrae, the disc in his back and neck, a torn rotator cuff, and it left severe nerve damage all over his body. And he began a journey of trying to heal. A couple of years after that, they have a little baby daughter, just weeks old, who had to go, was battling life-threatening illness and had to go into the Ronald McDonald house. And then you, can you imagine what this family's under? All of this now on top of his recovery. He spent sleepless nights, days and hours aching in pain. But I, I read a blog that he wrote recently, and the title was Hopelessness. And uh, because I know him, and I know his personality, and I know who he is, I can only say to you, this is the um, way over here opposite of the guy that I knew 20 years ago. But here's what he said. Listen, he said, the promises of God are for you and in Christ you can be all things and you can do all things regardless of your circumstances and regardless of what anyone's told you. God has put dreams and aspirations in each of your hearts, so grab hold of them and never let go. They will come to pass in His perfect time according to His perfect will. It may not look exactly like you had planned. Just remember to keep your faith and trust in God because when you do, it will always keep your destiny within reach. Now listen to this last sentence. This is what grabbed my heart and this is where I think we are this morning. If you've lost your joy and hope, don't just pray He gives them back to you. Pray He gives you the strength to take them back from whatever's stolen them from you. Don't, don't pray He gives them back. Pray He gives you the strength to go get them back. Man, I love it. Love it. I want you to stand with me this morning. Let's go to prayer. This is the difference. I'm going to ask our prayer team to come. Every eye closed. If you would, just find a place you can get still for a minute or two. And let's focus now. Let's focus now on what the present God of hope wants to do. Let's focus now on the work of the Holy Spirit in our life. Let's focus now as you stand. I don't want you just to stand and listen. I want you to begin to pray. And I want you to ask God. Begin to ask Him. Whatever it is in your gut, whatever it is in your soul, whatever it is working in your life, I want you to begin to pray and say, Lord, I bring this thing to you today. Whatever it is that is stuck in your heart this morning, stuck in your soul, I want you to bring it to the surface in prayer right now and begin to pray and intercede. Say, Lord, today, today I give this to you. Maybe there's an area of your life you need your hope renewed. Maybe there's an area of your life you need strength to take joy and peace back. Man, I want to say to you today, God invites you into an encounter with His presence that will fill you with hope. You can leave this place different than you came. 
You can leave this place with renewed hope and renewed zeal and renewed joy. And the circumstances may change supernaturally instantly. They may not. But I promise you, you will. And so I want to ask you now, with, 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 in this moment of prayer, would you just say this morning, I need hope renewed in an area of my life. I need hope renewed. I need God to give me strength. Would you just lift your hand and say, I need hope re renewed. Come on, I need hope renewed today. I need God to fill me. I need strength today. Would you just lift your hand? Come on. It's a, it's a confession of faith. Lord, here I am. You know what it does? It, make, it makes you uh, liable for God to come and touch you. It opens the door for God to come and fill you. I need the God of hope to come in this circumstance in my life. I need the God of hope to rescue, to restore, to renew, to change, to fill. I need the God of hope this morning. Come on, would you just lift it up? Just lift it up. Let it be a confession of faith today. I need the God of hope. The worship team begins to sing about hope. I want to ask you right now, with lifted hand, you come down in an act of sheer faith and you say, as you're coming, I want you to say this, God, I trust you. God, I trust you. God, today I ask you for strength and Lord, I trust you. Come on right now. You lifted your hand. I want you to come right now and let the...